0: Hello there, uh, this is me, Matt. I'm back again. Uh, I just started this podcast on Anchor, and uh, you can find it on other services such as Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and you know beyond. But uh, you know, I wanted to get into actual content. Uh, my first episode I recorded a few months back, and it was reviews of a few movies that came out in February that you can find now on DVD. I believe I recommended um, Arctic and Lords of Chaos out of the group I reviewed. But this week, we're talking about movies that are actually playing in theaters now. Uh, And for this episode, I have Child's Play, Men in Black International, Late Night, Shaft, and The Dead Don't Die. Uh, Just want to give a quick little update. This week's going to work in a little different way. I'm going to have... Uh, an episode come out, you know, today, obviously, and then I'm gonna follow up with a an episode tomorrow reviewing Annabelle Creation, Toy Story Four, um, Anna, and a few uh, Netflix movies. So I'm gonna have you know two episodes coming out back to back, and then kind of next week I'll do an episode for uh, Spider Man and Midsommar. But for now, let's start with Child's Play. So Child's Play is one of uh, many horror remakes that have, you know, hit, hit, uh, theaters recently. Uh, we had Halloween last year, which was a, a huge hit It made, I think 150 million plus. And, you know, we've had a lot of also really shitty horror remakes like, uh, the Friday 13th nightmare on Elm street, et cetera. But, um, you know, they, it's proven that it can work and Halloween, I definitely think is the, the benchmark for that. But Child's Play, uh, it's the first Child's Play movie uh, from a different director, writer, and a different voice of Chucky. Uh, But this film, it's set in our contemporary society, and it follows Karen, uh, a single mother played by Aubrey Plaza, who gives her son, Andy, a a buddy doll for his birthday that she kind of found. It was a return that she got for free, but what they find out is this doll is uh, a lot more than they bargained for. Uh, due to a worker uh, making a malfunction uh, to the doll, it is a lot more sinister than they could really expect. So the, the movie, I, I would kind of describe it as a dark comedy mixed with horror. Um, it, it takes more of a contemporary twist on uh, Chucky instead of it just being like kind of a doll and like, you know, the the scary part is that it moves around and it can, you know, kill people. Uh, this doll also is kind of in line with the Alexa services of today that it's connected to all the smart devices in your house. It's connected to your TV, uh, and your phone and everything like that. And I, I think that's a, a cool twist to add, um, to this concept. A lot of people I've read haven't really been a fan of it. And I, I was kind of surprised by that. Cause I, I, that's kind of what I would expected it to do. And like, if you're going to remake something, it's better, I think to add a kind of a unique twist to give it something, a you know, a little more fresh, uh, content wise. So I, I like that they did that. And I think the movie as a whole is, is successful. And I, I think a, a pretty good time at the cinema. Uh, I think the greatest strength for sure is Mark Hamill who voices, uh, Buddy or Chucky himself. And uh I like that he gives a performance that's really different uh from the previous iteration of the character. Um he he starts it from a lot more of a, a sympathetic place. Like he he's acting in line to similar buddy dolls where he's this kind of joyful, kind of corny, you know, doll that's trying to be the boy's friend. But then as the movie unravels slowly, he is kind of um, like broken tendencies uh, begin to unveil, unveil themselves and he, he can't help it. Like, and you kind of feel him fighting against it at a point. And I think that kind of conflict makes the character a lot more interesting. I think it, you, you actually kind of feel bad for, for Chucky in a way. And I, I really was not expecting that going into the movie. And I, I think it, it makes the movie a lot more engaging when he's on screen. And then when it co- comes time for, you know hamilton make that transformation into the the sinister form of buddy it's it's really effective actually he you know there's a couple scenes that really up the ante with the gore uh the film's director lars klevberg uh i think does a good job of making some creative set pieces and uh he uses the premise well I, i think there's a bit in particular where he controls uh the child's had a, a hearing aid. He controls his you know, hearing aid to like mess with them. And I, I thought that was kind of creepy and, and effective. Uh, and it especially helps that you have actors like Aubrey Plaza and Brian Tyree Henry, who can bring a lot of personality to roles that uh, really aren't written with the most uh, originality or depth. And I, I think Plaza, especially like this mother character, it, it, it's a very thankless part, but Her kind of sarcastic demeanor and tone uh, always makes for uh, a few entertaining moments. And I think she was particularly strong in this film. Uh, Things I didn't like as much. uh, I think that the whole kid angle is just really starting to feel tired. Uh, I think the actor who plays Andy, Gabriel Bateman, does an okay job. And I think his best moments are interacting with Chucky. But outside of that, when it's him and his, like, kind of outcast friends, it, it just feels like something we've seen done to death so many times before. It's like, oh, the the, the outcast loser kid saving the day. You know, we've had It. We've had Stranger Things. Uh, the summer of 84, that film went with the Sundance a few years ago. But it, it's just a tired concept at this point. And I really, you know, I'm kind of... I was kind of bumbling when it, and that became the angle of the movie, especially towards the third act, which I think fails to really satisfy in a horror element. It kind of gets a little too bombastic where the tension kind of gets cut. And I don't know, the third act just didn't really deliver, I think, from the personal relationship of Chucky and Andy, which I thought was really the strength, the first two acts. It, I don't think it delivered that kind of culminating moment. It was more focused on delivering kind of spectacle. but as a whole, I, I really enjoyed Child's Play. I think it's a, a really solid horror movie. And I, I'd give it a, I think a 7, 7 out of 10. I, I you know, I, I contemplate between 7, 7.5, uh, but I'll stick with a 7. It's definitely a, a, a good flick, and yeah, if you should check it out if it's still in theaters. I know it suffered a, a big drop-off at the box office this week, uh, which didn't shock me because Annabelle Creations was coming out, but... Uh, I think it was like 70%, which is, you know, that's too bad because I, I think this is good and I kind of hope there's a sequel. But speaking of sequels, we have, or it's technically a reboot, I think, if anything, uh, Men in Black International. Now, uh, this is the fourth film in the Men in Black series, but instead of series staples, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, we have uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, who. You know people are really big fans of and especially for their performances in thor ragnarok they showed you know some effortless chemistry and really bounced off each other well uh so i was really intrigued to see where this movie was going to go the trailers though really didn't have me uh particularly on board uh they, they were a little silly with the you know they try to use like you know, hip hop music to give it some style and stuff, but it, it just felt really flat and really kind of like studio-esque and I don't know, just really bland. And, but I, I still was kind of, you know, cautiously optimistic, especially cause I really like the men in black brand. I think, you know, the first two films are, or not the first two, the first film and the third film, which came out back in 2012, are really strong movies i think the first one obviously it really executes its unique premise with a lot of style and humor i think the third film it you know i definitely think it's not great but i think it does a good job of exploring Smith's character and i think it has a, a underrated emotional punch to it that people don't give it credit for but this fourth film uh i was hopeful going in but it's it's kind of a disaster, and I might just say it. It's it's probably the worst film I've seen in theaters this year. So, yeah, that bad. Worse than Dark Phoenix. Worse than La Llorona. It's it just really doesn't work. Now you know what? Why exactly does it not work? First off, I I don't think this movie does justice by its stars. I think Chris Hemsworth. Um, You know, he does a great job as Thor. Uh, He's proven he has comedic chops. He did a good job in Ghostbusters, even, but he's written into a very generic character. This kind of, oh, the hotshot agent who, you know, he used to be a great agent, but he's kind of getting too proud and, you know, too full of himself. It's just like this really bland archetype. And it doesn't really give him an opportunity to be his charming you know charismatic self because a lot of the movie he's kind of incompetent in a way and it's it's i don't know it sucks that they writ, wrote both actors tessa thompson i'll get into in a minute with such just kind of thankless roles because if you just kind of let these actors i think run wild and let their personalities really uh disappear into these characters i think it, it would have been great like it just to see these two rift and having a good time but this whole movie just feels so constricted by, you know, studio mandates and, oh, it, it, you know, it needs to please every audience and it has to have, you know, the right balance of action. We need the right balance of comedy. It's like movies aren't like a science experiment or a math equation. There's no formula to making a good movie, but it's so many times we see movies during the summer that feel like they're following like a formula of, how to make a great blockbuster, how to make a marketable movie. And it's usually those movies that fail the most because people see them and it's like, wow, this really has no creativity behind it. And I guess that shouldn't be too shocking considering it's coming from Sony who has had quite a few uh, creatively bankrupt moves over the past couple of years. But to get into the, the movie itself, I think... Matt Holloway and Art Markham, the the writers, uh, they I heard the script had some interesting ideas in its previous uh, drafts. I heard the the story was going to be like a take on uh, the immigration problems of today, which sounded interesting. But uh, according to the Hollywood Reporter article published about the movie, a lot of those ideas were constricted by the studio and same with a lot of director f gary graves efforts so it's hard for me to talk about their individual efforts when even they could probably admit like oh we didn't get to give our best efforts towards this movie and that's what sucks about movies when they're made like this it's just everyone isn't you know given the potential to really perform their best ability like and it sucks especially when it's with a concept like men in black that has a lot of potential to do a lot of kind of weird and creative things with. Uh, But this movie just fell really flat. There was not, the humor was unoriginal. There's, there's really not a lot of funny banter between Thompson and Hemsworth. The characters, uh, as I mentioned, are flat. Uh, Liam Hemsworth, or Liam Neeson is, plays the most obvious uh, role ever. You could guess within two seconds what he's going to do in the movie and what he's going to, you know what his role will be, and I think the story in general follows that kind of generic formula. It, it just it felt so soulless and just so boring, and it, it was just it was a tough watch. I'm I'm going to be honest; I was just really having a hard time just sitting there like, Ugh, bored, because <laughs> it really just does nothing new or inventive, and it just is so apparent how little effort there is. Uh, by Sony to really like do anything interesting. They're trying to make just the most formulaic movie possible, and, and it shows, and that's why the product is kind of ass. So I'm going to give Men in Black International a 1 out of 10. I, I, I'm I not someone who likes to overact and give movies like a 0, because I don't think any movie is really like a 0, like unless it's like Transformers 5 or whatever, like something really... God awful. But this movie at least, you know, has some basic competence. I know I'm going to up it to a two, honestly. A one might be a little harsh. A two, two out of ten. There's at least a, a decent competency of filmmaking throughout. I don't think F. Gary Gray is a bad director, uh, the, the guy who made Straight Out Compton. I'm excited to see where he goes from here, but I'm sure he's going to stay far away from Sony and working in these kind of studio. Restricted environments because yeah, this movie did not turn out well Uh, But on to other movies and next we have late night Uh, Late night is a movie that has gotten a lot of talk this year. It debuted at the Sundance Film Festival back in January uh, to really strong reactions and a a lot of hype even Amazon uh, made a big purchase buying the film acquiring the film for rather for uh, 13 million dollars and have spent thirty million plus on the film's marketing. Uh, they released it limited June fifth, or no June seventh, I believe. Uh, it did pretty well. They went nationwide the fourteenth, and it opened, I believe, in like seventh or eighth place. Which you know, it's too bad. You know, I give Amazon credit for wanting to give spotlight to indie movies like this, and I I think uh, the movie does have some crossover market market uh, appeal. But uh, Late Night, I'll get into the film itself, it's a movie about a late-night talk show host uh, named, let's see here, Catherine Newberry, uh, played by Emma Thompson, uh, who's had a great, you know, award-winning career as a late-night host, but her material is starting to get kind of dry, and the network comes to her and says, listen, this is going to be your last season, the show's just not going well, so an attempt to kind of you know stir things up. She brings in some new comedy writers, one of them being uh, Mindy Kaling, who uh, plays Molly Patel, who she works previously in a factory, but has always had this deep love and interest in comedy, and gets hired almost as a diversity hire uh, in a way to fill the quota for Emma Thompson, since her uh, writing staff doesn't have any female writers. So. The movie basically follows uh, Molly's attempts to kind of integrate herself amongst the staff and, you know, fight against the misconceptions of like diversity, hi- like diversity hiring and stuff like that. And while also trying to give Catherine Newberry uh, show a much needed revival. Going into late night, uh, my expectations, to be honest, weren't all that high. I-, I know there was a lot of acclaim coming out of Sundance, but To me, Sundance is a film festival that can often overhype a lot of movies, I think, as we've seen over the past couple of years. And the trailers themselves uh, showed some promise, but as a whole felt kind of very similar to comedies that have already been made in the studio system, not really offering anything that fresh. But I'm happy to report Late Night is a lot better than the trailers uh, would leave its audience to think. And I think that's mainly because of its two stars, Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. Um Thompson, in particular, really is given a great opportunity to shine. Uh, i when I heard she was being casted as a late night host, I was a little surprised just because I wasn't sure if, you know, Thompson had the personality of a typical late night host who are more kind of like boisterous and like outspoken. But I, I think that was kind of the point in playing Catherine Newberry, who's uh, a comedian who's really succeeded by being herself and playing to her own strengths in her kind of like acrobatic wit and charm. And I, I really think uh, Thompson fit who this character was very well. Uh, she's able to be very charming and personable while also kind of having this kind of coldness to her that, you know, she's not really cold on the inside, but she kind of. Presents it in a in a way, and he has to kind of overcome that throughout the movie. So I thought Thompson was able to give a really uh, strong performance here. Kaling, uh, who <clears throat> also wrote the movie, I think is a is a great screen presence. She's very funny. Uh, she plays a great like everyman type very well, while also I think you know being able to write the film and create not only two I think pretty well-rounded characters but also a lot of really effective commentary on kind of late night content and how some of it recently has kind of been less inspired as it's more focused on getting you know big segments to go viral on YouTube and such and I also think this movie takes a stab at kind of Hollywood culture and how it views women and uh you know people of different race and ethnicities i think uh you know those are two things that i think are really critical and i think mckayling's script is able to kind of balance all those themes i think fairly well and you know work them in organically along with the story itself Uh, as far as negatives go i do think um the third act kind of descends too much into generic territory we have this uh this twist that or not a twist but a plot reveal that comes about in the first act and I I kind of thought as it happened I'm like oh I really hope this isn't something that kind of takes over the movie and has a big you know role in it and eventually it does have a big role it, it is the the big climax of the film revolves this event and to me it's it's not that it was done without purpose they do give a purpose for why this like kind of con- screenplay contrivance is used, but it just feels very contrived that they have, uh, you know, Catherine's character commit this action, and it just it kind of you know it it feels just cliched. And I think some of the the structural points of this movie do feel a bit cliched. You know, they have the forced romance. You know, even though. Is it really developed as great as it should be? Not really. And I think the direction as well by Nisha Gantara, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Uh, while fine, it, it doesn't do anything to really enhance the material any further. I would just say it's, it's fine or competent, but the film as a whole, I think it is really enjoyable and is really strong. It's, it has a great wit to it. I think it has a lot of charm. And I also think, It has a lot more on its mind than the trailers would lead on. So I would probably give Late Night, I'm going to say a a 7.5 out of 10, actually. I think if it's still in theaters playing near you, I I would give it a shot. I know it's underperformed at the box office, and a lot of people are pointing different uh, fingers as to why it's underperformed. Some people blame Amazon. Some people just blame audiences straight out. I, I mostly blame Amazon, to be honest. I think... To release this movie in a four-theater specialty release, and then to so quickly be like, all right, 2,000 theaters nationwide, everywhere. It, it was just too big of a jump, and especially doing it during the summertime, it's it's a big risk, and you really need to be 100% sure that you've marketed the movie well enough to justify that kind of risk. And clearly, I, I don't think this movie's marketing was able to highlight its best aspects. Like I said... My impressions of the trailer were very generic. It was very generic. So I just think Amazon, ultimately, I think buying this movie it was a good choice. I think this is a movie that could have cross appeal. And I think it probably will reach an audience once it reaches Amazon Prime. But I don't think they did the movie the best service with its marketing and release. But moving on, we have Shaft, which is the third... Iteration of the Shaft or John Shaft character. Uh, the original film came out in 1971 and is one of the staples of the black exploitation genre. It's kind of low budget action crime films that uh, embodied a lot of the you know cultural themes of the 70s, including you know fresh off uh, segregation era racism and stuff like that. And it really used it as a positive. Uh, influence for you know African American community and also it gave a great outlet for African American filmmakers and such. So it, it's a very important staple in the history of cinema. But these films rarely are made today. We have you know the 2000 Shaft film that Samuel Jackson starred in, and he reprises his role for the sequel. And then we also have uh, last year's Superfly, which was a film. A lot of people kind of overlooked, but I, I'm also pretty high on it. Uh, Director X kind of has a very Michael Mann-esque uh, style and delivery to it. And I also think the movie evokes a lot of the interesting uh, cultural conversations we have today about police brutality and just uh, privilege in general. But focusing on Shaft, uh, this film, I, I don't want to... It's kind of a sequel, kind of a reboot, like in a way that a lot of reboots are. Uh, this film follows John Shaft Jr., who's played by Jesse T. Usher. Uh, he is putting a tough... He's an FBI operative, but he's like kind of a field analysis. He's not quite an agent. But when his friend uh, who's come back from the military uh, suddenly dies in kind of um, inconspicuous ways... Uh, he seeks the help of his dad, uh, John Shaft, who's played by Samuel Jackson, to kind of crack the case along with kind of learn himself how to become a better, you know, agent and you know, and detective and such. But uh, this film, it, it it was a big disappointment for me. I know it was probably silly for me to go into this movie with any expectations at all, but I really like the Shaft movies. I like the genre a lot. And I was just expecting something entertaining, and I think while this movie is able to have some moments, it, it really reeks of a movie made uh, as a studio product, similar to Men in Black. It's a movie where just a lot of the ideas and the content just feel constricted by needing to kind of check boxes or fit in with a certain audience. Uh, first off, I want to give credit to Samuel L. Jackson because he's really... The strength of this movie he's the beating heart of it he every you know every movie i feel like samuel jackson always brings his signature persona and energy and you know he's there's few funnier when he's really operating in his apex and this movie i think is a good opportunity for him to really play to the extremes of his kind of badass persona and he's able to have some fun with it here and there and i think the movie is able to have fun when he's kind of riffing and working like that. And I think the cast in general is able to have some fun at points. You have uh, Regina King, who's a fantastic actress and uh, Richard Roundtree, the original shafts back from the 1971 film. Both actors are able to have some fun moments here and there. I think the tone of the film, uh, it, it doesn't take itself too seriously ever. If anything, I would say it's way more of a, of a comedy than an action film, which I think works in some ways, and also underserves the film in others. But which I'll get to. But I think the the problem with this movie is it just lacked its own voice. Uh, director Tim Story, he he did the the previous Fantastic Four films in the early two thousands, and he also directed comedies like Ride Along and uh, I believe the first Barbershop film. He he's obviously a veteran director who's. in the industry but he's someone who's always kind of worked to the studio's mandate and this movie he does a competent job but i think visually it 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 really lacks a voice and just i don't know inspiration like the movie has a very drab and kind of bad murky i think is a good way to put it murky kind of color palette to it Uh, there's very few stylistic you know touches added throughout there's kind of like this really awkwardly used slow-mo that is just done without very little, you know, energy or, you know, thought. And it's a shame because I think this material really could have used that, that kind of voice and presence behind it. And I also think you can tell that the movie wanted to have more style through the editing because almost every scene has a a catchy track to kind of connect one scene to another. And it's like, it's almost like the editor was working behind the screen, being like, "How can I make this more interesting? How can I kind of get audiences more compelled as to what's going on screen, and you know, get some more energy into the film?" And it felt like adding music was kind of the only fix because the movie itself really is made without much in terms of style or energy. Uh, I think, you know, the the premise and idea of rebooting it with Shaft's son okay it's contrived sure but it could have worked for this i i think the script written by kenya barris and alex barnrow though the comedy is mostly very hit or miss and i would say more misses than hits uh there's a lot of jokes about kind of the snowflake culture of today and a lot of those just feel kind of lame and they they're done without much You know, humor, insight, and it's not from the perspective of like, oh, wow, Samuel Jackson's character is really out of touch, but more so like, oh, wow, Samuel Jackson has a point. Our culture today is really too sensitive to stuff, to people saying certain words and acting in certain discriminatory ways, and it was like, oh, this is kind of off-putting, but I think the script in general, the biggest underservice it does, it gives us the most generic story you can imagine. It's this kind of uh, one clue leads to the next, but it just really doesn't develop any intrigue throughout it. There's no kind of, we, we're we not really following the mystery alongside the characters. They're just kind of telling us, Oh, now we got to go here. We got to go here. Uh, it, it, just, in general, this movie, it, it does a basic baseline job of like, giving some decent entertainment value throughout, but as a whole is definitely do not, do not go see this in the theater. I give it, uh, shaft a four out of ten, you know, four and a half, I'll say out of ten. If you watch this on cable, uh, which I probably will be on in three years, I, I think you might enjoy a few moments, but you might also fall asleep after the first 40 minutes because it, it really does nothing that new or interesting, which is a shame considering that this this franchise is one associated with, you know, much more prominent things. Uh but, you know, that's kind of how studios are today. They take a brand and say, hey, how can we make this into a product, and that's what we have. Uh, My final movie, I'm going to kind of talk about quickly, but it's a film playing a limited release, The Dead Don't Die, and it's one of my favorite films of the year. It's directed and written by Jim Jarmusch, who's made uh, quite a few pretty essential indie works over the past couple years. Only Lovers Left Alive was his last film, but this, uh, instead of working in the kind of a dramatic sphere, he's working more as in comedy and we kind of have this kind of generic middle America town that's just one day all of a sudden raided by zombies and the characters all react in their own very offbeat odd distinct ways but I I think this movie I really hope people check out it's very off kilter and oddball but it does so with purpose I think uh, Jarmusch is really kind of taking a stab at kind of the apathetic attitudes. I think a lot of our culture has about our outside world. Uh, there's a lot of funny little political insights and just funny moments throughout, but I think a lot of the the strength and just general humor in this movie comes from a few things, mostly the cast. I think Adam driver and Bill Murray are perfect for these parts. You couldn't find two better actors to play these kind of weird offbeat comedic notes on them because they, they can do anything. They're just really exceptional talents. And I think seeing them kind of work together and off each other is really, I think the joy of this movie, this is a movie I think, even if you don't think the inside of it is that deep or interesting, I think audiences can still enjoy just because it's very, it, it finds a way to constantly make you giggle or laugh through its own kind of diff, you know, unique ways. So I think um, as a whole, this is a comedy that really kept me laughing throughout just because it's a movie that never played as it's safe. Jarmusch really, I think doubles down on the weirdness of his concept and he takes these characters to their weirdest extremes possible. And it's really funny. And a lot of it has a very kind of simple point to it, but it, it doesn't need to be that complex. I think some movies work better because of their simplicity. And I think this is one that does. And I think audiences might be divisive about it. If you don't, if you're not really able to, I'll say this, if it's a movie. I think you can tell within the first 15 minutes, is this a movie I'm going to enjoy or not? You could tell by that because it, it has a very unique comedic wavelength and you can either vibe with it or it's really, not something for you and I get that there's a lot of movies that are divisive like that but for me it really works so I'm gonna give the dead don't die an eight and a half out of ten it's a really great movie uh still playing in limited theaters I, I it's done okay at the box office even though a lot of specialty movies have struggled of late but I'm glad it's finding an audience so yeah uh, but that's my reviews for today. Uh, those are the five movies I want to talk about. Like I said, I'll be following up with the, another episode soon, talking about Toy Story Four, Annabelle Creations, Anna, a few Netflix indie movies, and maybe some NBA free agency talk. Even you know, a little something different. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. You can find it on Spotify, as I said, and. Yeah, thank you for tuning in as always.